Yes. I have a question. When we started walking, it was a little chilly. Still, I noticed I'm walking in the sun rather than the shade. Is that a version of the cold and the shade? Attachment to the warmth and the sun? Is any of that unwholesome? Well, you're going to be the one who's going to have to explore where the motivations are coming from. Because there's no way you can obviously tell from an action what is the motivation behind it. No way. You can do something that's apparently wholesome, and it can be with motivation that's not. Occasionally there are times when you can do something that's apparently unwholesome, and the motivations are pure. So what one needs to investigate is what the motivation is, and that's an inquiry. You need to know for yourself what is driving it. And sometimes it's mixed. A resistance to the cold, an attachment to the warmth, a compassion just to be able to relax and have some ease while one's walking. So seeking after something that's pleasurable or comfortable or puts you more at ease isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, attachment is the grabbing hold of. I mean, in this culture, there's a kind of um, epidemic around moving towards pleasure. And so it's almost epidemic that there's a kind of an association that whenever there's pleasure, the kind of tendency is to move towards it. Just because one is doing that doesn't necessarily mean one's motivations are because of attachment. But you need to find out for yourself. Yeah. Discomfort is against the constitutional rights. <laughs> you know, we have the right to pursue health happiness. That's right. It's our right. And so we have to watch and see the way we've internalized this and what we do with it. Because it is, it's, it is noteworthy. And Dhamma teachers who teach in other countries remark and make lots of funny jokes about it. That as an American people, there is such an incredibly strong habit to move towards what's pleasant and to avoid what's unpleasant. It's noteworthy as a cultural phenomenon. And so when there's a cultural kind of support for doing that, then it takes more um, steadiness to be able to negotiate what's actually happening and come to a place of of evenness. What would you say? What would you say? I would totally agree with the inquiry part and what motivations are. I mean, it's something that I've really tried to work with a lot in my practice. To just look at the habitual sort of adherence that I have culturally um, to... I mean, it's so big because we have so much. And so I think, for me, like, renunciation has become a bigger part of my practice or just looking at, you know, playing with that, because in what way can I um, modulate, you know, the total um, ha- 
habit and emphasis on the culture of acquisition. And I just find that really, really interesting to pair, you know, to try to pair down, and it really ties into generosity and letting things go and really making an effort to work with maybe what's hard to let go of on all levels, physical, psychological, emotional. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think my own opinion and how it impacts my practice is that it encourages me to work with renunciation and letting go and examining like when I want something, what does that feel like? And what would it and and waiting, like wait, you know, like pausing a lot of times is very interesting. Just to you know, you don't have to say no, just wait. <laughs> See if it continues. Do you like to add? Sure. It just occurs to me it's it's a great practice to just ask what's happening and how am I relating to it. I think this practice has helped me see repeatedly the culture that I have thought pleasant is the is sort of the normative, and I kind of space out around it, and that as soon as it drops below pleasant, there's sort of a mad scramble, like alarms going off. What's wrong? What's wrong? Got to get back up here, and that practice has helped me to see that there's. Yeah. It just comes and goes, and it's nothing personal. But how I'm relating to it seems to be the real fulcrum point for me. Um, and can I notice the feeling tone, right? Is this pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? And then what's my relationship to that? Yeah, I just kind of keep applying mindfulness. You know, what happens then? Is there a story about it? Right? To just keep coming back. I don't see any complexity in um, in the summertime walking on the shady side of the street and in the wintertime walking on the sunny side of the street. With all of these things, it just depends on the kind of level of what one is interested in opening up to. So sometimes things can be very simple, and sometimes things are very simple simply because one hasn't looked very carefully. So it, it, it's easy, you know, one needs to pick, pick one's own level. You know, one of the things I was working with on the retreat was how long do I sit for? When do I get up? And... You know, what, what were the signals about when it was time to finish? So I didn't have a clock with me. I, I let the clock alone, and I was just trying to figure out. Because, you know, I could get to a place that was really intense, and it feels like, oh, it's time to get up now. But if I softened through it and relaxed into it, it'd shift. Maybe a whole other kind of period of relaxation and ease. But normally I... I'd never push myself like that. I'd never get up to those edges and work with them. So it's, you know, I think it, you know, it, it, in some ways it's just easy to be uncomplicated and sometimes there's a lot of richness in looking to see what's underneath the layers. 
this kind of situation where there was many things happening and it wasn't quite clear what instructions were for who, right? Easy, easy to get confused about what you're supposed to be doing. So confusion is something that can be known. It's not clear what you're supposed to do. Yeah? And uh, you can work with it either by recognizing this as confusion and just stay with it or try and find the answer to what is it that you're supposed to do. Yeah. But in you know you've got two separate sets of instructions happening in the same space with different levels of people. It's pretty easy <laughs> to be confused. <laughs> so I think in order to do that more effectively, we'd either have to have more separation between the spaces so that you're not overhearing the different instructions. Or, or just not try to do that. <laughs> Which probably most sensible people would opt for that option. <laughs> but you know, there's lots of times when you know I feel confused, or more than confusion, I don't know. There's lots of times where I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know the exact way. I don't know the path. I don't know what's next. And it, just like Tam was saying, wait when there's this kind of movement towards pleasant, there's this huge weight of just waiting until clarity emerges. You know, what do I need? Do I need information? Do I need time? Do I need to relax? Do I need to resolve something? Sometimes I don't know what I need. I need to wait until I know what I need to what I need, you know? And so, you know, the unknown, working with the unknown, for me, has been a huge part of the last many years. Don't know. I don't know. Just wait till it's clear what I know. I felt um, a very definite shift today in the exchange, um, maybe because we went up another level, but I really felt like I was sharing my meditation. Mm-hmm. And that I was invited to share hers. Mm-hmm. It was a very unknowing experience. Mm-hmm. And I was so I, I can see how you can start experimenting. Even with somebody who's never done anything like that. Just by being honest and open mm-hmm. and listening. I mean, it's, it's, it is really a very natural thing. Mm-hmm. If we're with ourselves, mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you shared, because that's the counterbalance to the chaos. That's actually the reason why I was wanting to share it with everyone. Yeah. Because that was my experience as well. And, and the way that affects community, and the way that affects your own capacity... Very interesting. Yeah. 
liked it. Because <laughs> uh, I was looking forward to lunch and talking. <laughs> and this is my first full day retreat. And then I realized that we can't talk. <laughs> so, um, so I really enjoyed it. Even though it was difficult. I'm glad to hear I should have checked to see who was brand new to meditation because I had assumed everybody were old hands. This is a hard first day. This is kind of diving in the deep end. Yeah. And I love it. It's a whole new world. It is. Yeah. Just a little bit on the chaos and also the experience. It was very... It was good. It was at the end of the second day. I felt very calm with my partner and, and meditated as Elisa said. And it was, it was a very informative, kind of quick, more kind of quicker information rather than reflecting back on the day. Often I'll sit reviewing what happened yesterday. I could see things happening almost more in real time with this in my relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, how am I doing? How she doing? I like the kind of immediacy of it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a view of what I'm about to express. But I was able to view, uh, uh, I was, became aware of views. I noticed it became evident to me that the structure here is not what I expected. And I don't know. I just noticed my view here of what the structure is, is going to be, or should be, is, well, that's not what's happening. And I could see, and it apparent to me that you were perhaps uh, waiting for the question to come to you. You didn't have note cards for the next assignment. And it, it, it occurred, well, I had this view that you had it all planned out. <laughs> and that view is not the only view. So I thought that... <laughs> it's very rare that I have it all planned out. <laughs> yeah, going back to the question was the uh, distinction between uh, uh, the action as opposed to the intention behind the action. Now, uh, lots of times, but the the presupposition out here is that the intention has to be good, whatever the action. But lots of times, it's the outcome of the action which tells you whether the intention was good or not. That's what actually uh, makes it uh, like... Uh, that's how I, I get to know what was good or not good, or what is good or not good, based on the outcome. So, how would I come out of that cycle to know exactly what is a good intention? A good intention is something that's motivated with non-harm, non-greed, non-attachment, non-aversion, and non-ignorance. That's a good intention. But you're right, you can't completely divorce what you do from the consequences. So certainly you've heard the expression that the, the pathway to hell was paved in good intentions. Okay? Have you heard that? <laughs> Somebody, 
path to hell is paved in good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have good intentions, but it can actually lead to total chaos if you're not actually aware of some of the consequences of what's happening. I don't know the Christian context. But what I know living in community is people can think they're doing the right thing, but they're not aware of hidden motivations. So, for example, it can be the case that somebody wants to help, but their wanting to help is based in their own need rather than their generosity and their tuning into what is needed. You see that all the time. You know, and so when somebody's helping from their own need, it looks like they're being kind, but really what they're doing is being greedy. And it can cause chaos, you know. They're not actually doing what's needed. So they're aware of wanting to help, but they're not actually aware of their own motivation. And so in that situation, it's really helpful to watch the outcome because the outcome can help reflect deeper on what their motivations are. But the opposite can be true, which is that you can actually have a pure intention and it can cause chaos. And it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong and that there's anything hidden that you haven't seen. And in a situation like that, you have to trust your intention. And that also happens in community. You can do something with absolutely pure motivation, and it causes chaos. It lands somewhere in somebody. It triggers a trauma. It triggers some kind of transference. And they are off and running. It had nothing to do with anything you said. So you can't take responsibility for where it lands, but you can just feel the suffering of what gets evoked in them. So... You can't separate cause and effect, but you have to know your intention. What would you say? <laughs> I know this is totally missing saying, yeah, that's true. Because I was just remembering a time, a couple times in my life, where I felt like I had pretty good intention and it just blew up. And really having to get, oh, you don't really ever know what's totally happening for another person. And it can just land and that I think always the harder work I also know times where I wanted to help but I've been I actually even knew I had a different motivation you know and still doing it and so it seems like grace is when you can pause to actually look inside and see what those intentions are and what's tricky in life is being social right and that we can get pulled we often don't feel like we have, or I don't feel like I have the time and things are happening and I'm just moving with it, which I guess is part of the insight dialogue. I think of pausing gives that little bit of space sometimes to see really what's happening. But I think the hardest thing in life, or not hardest, but a hard thing is when you have good intentions and it doesn't come out the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. You do have to just take refuge in your intention. Pay attention to how much you want it to be different. Good for that. Also, when somebody seems to be good hearted, but you feel that something's not quite, it's like crazy making, like I had this neighbor. He's constantly bringing over dinner. And, and I think, why is she doing this? And it's, 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 I mean, my thinking is she's lonely. You know, so, but there's judgment there. 
issue. You know, it's like you don't know what really your intention is, except the feels are future. And you don't, I don't know what to do about it. Because I want to say, don't come over. But you can't say, don't come over. And she's calling and saying, I need to bring you something here. So it's, it's like, how do you, it's confusing. Yeah, but that opens up a huge topic of, you know, how do you have proper boundaries and relationships with people who don't have clear direction about their own motivation? I mean, it's an enormous topic, and I think really the place to answer that topic is to get in touch with your own capacity, because it changes. You know, I certainly know some people who have huge issues around stuff like that, and my capacity around them would waver. So in my energy, they would, like, I'd need to have really, 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 really strong boundaries, like titanium-reinforced boundaries. <laughs> and if I had something slightly less than titanium-reinforced boundaries, it, 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 chaos would ensue because they would just go right through, you know? So for myself, my own learning around stuff like that was is that if my energy would drop beneath the capacity sustained titanium-reinforced boundaries, I would absent myself. I would not be available. I'd just disappear. And then I could, I could function in a very civil, very warm, very friendly way as long as I was very, very conscious of my capacity. And it would change. But that took 20 years to work that one out. <laughs> that, was, that was not a weekend learning project. <laughs> I mean... What do you think? You all have relationships with people. How do you sort it out? I mean, how would you answer that? I don't, um, this isn't the same as your situation, but um, I have a neighbor who's, who, uh, she's wonderful, and she comes twice a week to let my dogs out, you know, at, at noon, so we can go out in the backyard. And so I started bringing her like flowers once a week or little gifts once a week. And eventually um, she told me to stop doing that because it makes her feel cheap. So I did. Kind of bothers me a little bit because I'm not sure. Well, then how do I, you know, let her know that I really appreciate her doing this for me? But now I realize she was just. She likes to do it because she likes to let my dogs out. And that was it. It's not the same as yours. It's not the same as yours. It's very complex. Well, maybe I can involve her in this inside down. Well, certainly any time a person is um, patient and listening to another, there's a, from that place of stillness, sometimes that can be the context where things can shift both in terms of your own inside and also for the other person. Anything else to mention or bring up? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.